Well, good morning. Uh, my name is John Mavis, and uh, it's great to be with you all. I was here about a month and a half ago. Um, Kaylin and his family are taking a, a needed respite and uh, just enjoying a uh, weekend together. So thank you for letting me join you. It's always wonderful to be back in my hometown of Springfield and uh, to spend this time with you all. If you wouldn't mind, just joining me in a word of prayer, and then we'll spend some time together in the scriptures. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you for gathering us here under your word. And so, Lord, we pray that your scriptures would um, come to our hearts, Lord. And by your Holy Spirit, would you uh, open our hearts and our minds uh, to what you would have for us from the scriptures, Lord. That our lives might be exposed and equipped and encouraged, uh, even convicted, Lord, from the words that you have for us this morning. So, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you come amongst us and continue to um, guide us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have um, your worship guide with you, I want to encourage you to uh, turn to the pages where our epistle reading was, which I believe is on page six of your worship guide. My son, Ezekiel, he's um, 14, he's in the eighth grade, and um, he just finished up his soccer season, and uh, we've been having a lot of good time um, with him. It's a new school, and we live up in the Chicago area, and so... Um, we've been enjoying getting to know the area, but also encouraging him on this new team. And as we were um, finishing up the season, we were kind of talking with him a little bit as he was sharing. He's gotten the opportunity to play a couple different positions, some that are new to him. Uh, one of those is, is defense. Um, he's always played on the offense. And uh, over the last couple games, his coaches played, had him play on defense to sort of just learn a new position. And we were talking about how the game feels different when you're in a different position. And you sort of have to learn a whole new strategy of how to approach the game and, and learn what your role is in the game. And we were talking just about the very nature of defense and, uh, and how that shapes so much of, of how he approached the game. But I also think defense shapes a lot of how we as Christians can sometimes feel in our lives as well. On the defense, we kind of sometimes feel like everywhere we turn, we might be on the defense. Maybe it's uh, just... Personally, we feel like we might be a little on the defense sometimes. We know nations like Ukraine feel like they are on the defense right now. Our culture, and as a church, we might feel like we're defending against a culture that might be eroding around us. Families sometimes wonder how to defend themselves or their children from a world around them and a society that might lead them astray. Individually, we might kind of wrestle with feelings of being on the defense relationally or emotionally. Being on the defense can often shape how we react and respond to all of life. Our passage today in 2 Timothy um, chapter 4, verse 6 through 12, the Apostle Paul is sharing with Timothy about his own defense. He's been under a battle, a legal one, yes, a spiritual one, um, a, a relational one as well. Paul tells us in verse 16 that he was before the Roman Caesar on trial for his testimony to Jesus, but that he was, had to make his defense all alone, that there was nowhere, no one else there with him. Yet while he had been abandoned by others, he tells us in verse 17 that the Lord Jesus gave him his presence and power, even as he testified by himself. And it was with this confidence and this deep connection that he had with Jesus that he had an assurance to keep him going, even in that prison cell, 
as he awaited his execution, that he had, in verse 7 he says, fought the good fight, that he would finish the race, and that he would keep the faith all the way to the end. While he would receive no mercy from Caesar's judgment seat, he knew, he tells us in verse 8, that he would with confidence lay hold of the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, would give to him on the day of his appearing. Paul shows us in this passage that in a world that is filled with dangers, desertions from people that are close to us, deceptions, that we can trust in Jesus to be the safety of our souls, even when it seems very lonely at times. I wonder for you, do you ever feel like you're sort of on the defense? It's a spider web right here. Sorry. <laughs> I'm on the defense from a spider. Uh, do you ever feel like you're a little defensive in your interactions with others? Do you ever feel threatened by someone's perception of you or maybe their competition with you? Do you ever feel insecure in an interaction with someone and you might feel a little contempt for them or a little condemnation towards them? Do you ever sense that your soul might be under attack from the fears of our society, maybe the failures of our own sin, or even Satan himself, that you feel like you're on the defense? Well, even with these threats, as we look at this passage today, we can have confidence, as we just sang, and courage that Jesus is the one who gives us strength and safety for our souls. But how do we walk in this confidence and courage? That's one thing for Paul to say, I'm confident the Lord is with me here. But what did that look like for him, and how can it be at work in our own lives? Well, first, I think in this passage, we've got to be realistic about the dependability of others. Paul has to talk about this in his own life. He's not an isolationist. Paul is not uh, a Lone Ranger Christian. He often partnered with other Christians and other ministers to, to take the gospel around the world. But he knows the hurts, but also the help that fellow believers can bring to us. In 2 Timothy 4, 9-15, through 15, he sort of lays out for us some of these relationships that he's experienced and is experiencing. He tells us Demas deserted him completely for the love of this world. We don't know if that means it was uh, maybe fear of imprisonment, maybe physical comfort. We don't know exactly why. We know that he was deserted by Demas. Alexander the coppersmith, who probably was from Paul's hometown, somehow hurt Paul in some way and the message of the gospel. Paul's teammates, his fellow ministers, also had to be sent away from Paul for different reasons. He tells us that uh, Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Tychus to Ephesus, they all had to go and, and do their own work. Yet Paul was blessed with Luke, the great physician, the physician who, who was near him as a confidant and a partner in the gospel. This week, we celebrated St. Luke's Day, if we were following the church calendar on October 18th. And there's a wonderful collect in our prayer book about Luke's uh, ministry that I think maybe Paul felt when he was there with Luke. The collect says this, Almighty God, you called your servant Luke to be an evangelist and a physician of the soul. Grant that by the wholesome medicine of the doctrine he taught, all the diseases of our souls may be healed through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul knew the benefit of having a good friend like Luke. To be there with him spiritually and physically. Paul also had Timothy. He had Timothy as a partner in the gospel, but Timothy was distant. He was not there physically with him. And so he was writing to Timothy to say, come, I bring physical resources, things that I can write with and read 
things that will help keep me warm in this prison cell. He even said, bring Mark, one who had abandoned Paul and his missionary journey in the past. But now Paul said, Mark is useful for the ministry. All these are relationships that Paul knew that he was blessed with, but then some that he had been hurt by. Other times, uh, Paul knew what it was like to, to feel close to someone and then realize that they were no longer as close as they thought. I think that's true for us as well. Sometimes we might face distances in our relationships. We might face people's dislikes and their condemnation towards us, their abandonment. Sometimes we can face people that are are really, truly good friends that help us, like Luke. All these, though, can sometimes cause us to feel defensive and not really knowing who to trust with our lives and exactly who can we rely upon. But Paul shows us that we can be grateful for those relationships, that those relationships can be a blessing to us, but that our ultimate confidence and courage to face the place of our souls has to depend on something beyond those relationships. And so we've, we see the next point here that uh, if we're going to walk with a confidence, knowing that Jesus has our souls, we also can't depend on our own selves. Luke, the doctor of souls and bodies, records one of Jesus' important parables um, in our gospel reading today. Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14 is a wonderful short parable to remind us um, about what it looks like to defend ourselves. This parable, um, we're told by Luke, was written to persuade to those who were trying to persuade themselves about their own righteousness, to try to vindicate themselves. Jesus was addressing them and was trying to tell them that as they tried to defend their own spiritual status and merit, they would ultimately be humbled. Luke tells us that as they try to defend themselves spiritually before God or with others, they end up showing contempt or looking down on others in the process. And so Jesus uses a, a, sm- a very short story, but a helpful one, to contrast this self-righteous Pharisee with a self-repenting tax collector. And Jesus shows plainly that when we live on self-defense, self-vindication, self-righteousness, trying to justify ourselves that we will be humbled like this Pharisee. And you know, if you know Apostle Paul's story, you know very well that this story very well could have been him. He was a Pharisee, one just like Jesus was describing in many regards. Paul tells us a little bit of how Christ had changed his posture from the, the posture of this Pharisee to the posture of this tax collector. In Philippians 3, 4 through 6, Paul kind of describes his outlook before knowing Jesus. He says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. Yet, when Christ got a hold of Paul's soul and he recognized what our true relationship with Jesus was like, He would write this just after that, what I read. He says, but whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. Paul would later write to Timothy in his first letter to Timothy that formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. 
And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul said, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Do you see the change in Paul's life? A Pharisee of Pharisees, the law blameless. But because Christ changed his life, he began to realize what his true status was. He wasn't living to defend himself before God or defend himself before others. I think that might be true in our own lives as well. How much time of our, in our conversations with others do we maybe find ourselves trying to justify ourselves? To justify ourselves in the eyes of God, our peers, or society? We can easily go on the defensive when other people don't necessarily praise us as we would expect or hope. We've worked so hard to earn that, and they didn't give it to us. Unfortunately, Jesus tells us this type of exalting will only lead to humbling. And it can also cause us to harm and hurt others at the same time and dishonor God's amazing grace. So, by God's grace, we can lay down this sort of defensive, this reactionary way of living and seeing the world and find confidence and courage that Jesus has our backs. He has the security of our souls. And that's the third thing that Paul, and the final thing that Paul shows us in this passage, that we can rest in the dependable defense of Christ. Before Jesus' ascension, he promised his disciples, you remember he said, all authority has been given unto me. And he said, go and make disciples. And he promised them that he would be with them always, even to the end of the age. And Paul knew that in his own life. As he was there in his prison cell, he knew the presence of Jesus. As he stood before Caesar, he knew the presence of Jesus. In verse 17 of our reading today, he says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear. Years earlier, Paul wrote to the church in Rome, the very city that now he was in when he was writing to Timothy, about the confidence that he had in Jesus, who interceded and was his advocate, no matter what the circumstance. Many of you might know this passage. It's a wonderful passage reminding us of how Jesus has our back, even when we feel most vulnerable. Romans eight thirty one through 39. Let me just read these passages because I think they so illustrate for us how Jesus is at our defense. Paul says, What then shall we say to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or death, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Jesus is our dependable defense, Paul tells us. 
And he is not just an emotional assurance for us. But Paul says that as Jesus stood by me, he equipped me, he allowed me to share the gospel so that all the Gentiles might know as well. And that's what he does in our lives as well. As we lean on him, as we depend upon him as our defense, our neighbors, our families, our world around us sees the dependability, the intercession of Jesus in our lives and sees the difference. Paul, with confidence, could say in verse 18 of our reading, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly home. This is what it looks like to live in and to know the Lord as our defense. Our psalm said it so beautifully in verse 12 of our psalm, for the Lord God is a light and defense. And verse 13, O Lord God of hosts, blessed is the one who puts his trust in you. So as I close, I must confess that um, I'm not here yet, though. Maybe you're not either. Too often, I can become too defensive in my conversations. Maybe with my spouse, my wife, Elisa. Maybe with my children. Maybe I may be prone, too prone to feel like I need to justify myself with others. Maybe even to God to try to prove myself. Often, sometimes, I might think that I'm responsible for defending Jesus, even to our culture around us. Yet all of these do not actually bring about the compassionate message of the gospel in these conversations. Instead, it often causes me to treat others with contempt, maybe a sense of competition, maybe anger or anxiety at times. How about you? Where is your defense today? Where do you place your eternal trust? How is it shaping your soul? What's the fruit of it in your relationships? Maybe just a few things to examine as we close. Sometimes it might be a religious self-trust. A defense by our religiosity. Of thinking we've got it all together just perfectly. We've got the liturgy down. We know the right things. We do the right spiritual disciplines. We've got our defense there. And Jesus has a word for us. That we do those things, yes, but we do it with a humble reliance upon him. Not to justify ourselves. Sometimes it might be a physical self-trust. Our defense is on what we have physically, our bodies maybe, our possessions, what we can garner physically to validate us. Sometimes it might be emotional self-trust. My feelings, my passions, and how I'm doing today emotionally drive me and are my place of security. Sometimes it might be a social self-trust, where I fit with those around me and how they see me. That's my sense of defense. Or for some here, it might be an intellectual self-trust. I've reasoned things out and I don't need God as much as I thought. Or I can do it just fine over here and let God in over here. Not realizing that I'm truly completely depending on my own defense. All these are areas where we can invite the Lord Jesus to stand with us. To invite him to come in the midst of our lives. So I want to encourage you this week. As I'm praying and asking the Lord's help, I want to ask you to do as well. We can find confidence and courage in Jesus to be the strength of our souls. We can find assurance in him so we don't have to live with contempt, comparing, but instead with the humble compassion of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul's example to us. We thank you for people like Luke in our lives that encourage us. Most importantly, we thank you, Jesus, that you are with us that we are not alone. And it's his name we pray. Amen.